Our scripture reading today is from John 6, 25 through 34. If you'd like to follow along in our Pew Bibles, this is page 891. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. This is the word of the Lord. Morning. Um, as many of you know, there are a lot of things happening in our world, a lot of conflict. Um, I wanted to pray for those things. Lord, um, more important than what is happening or how that even came about or why, uh, we, we need to look to you. And as this conflict in Israel and Palestine is taking so many lives, we ask for your presence there, Lord, and for your peace to be there. And unfortunately, that's not the only conflict in our world as we have Russia and Ukraine, we have Azerbaijan and Armenia, we have what's happening in Sudan. And there are so many things happening all over the world, Lord, and the most important thing is we need to look to you. We need to look to who? as you are the Prince of Peace. And so, Lord, we, we ask for you to come. We know that upon your return, all will be made right. And we ask that hearts will be softened and eyes open to receive the Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. John chapter six, I think it is, uh, really relevant today because it, it is something that we are to focus on who and not what, not why, not how, but on who. Starts with this miracle of Jesus feeding the 5,000. And we've covered this miracle when we've looked at Luke chapter 9, Mark chapter 6. Those are all in our sermon archives. So if you want some biblical teaching on that, I just encourage you to take a listen to our archives and I won't be going into this first part of John too much in depth because we've covered that twice before. So um, if you want to take a look at that, please look at that. The same thing for Jesus walking on the water in the Sea of Galilee on the way to Capernaum. This was also covered in Mark chapter 6. So if you want to take a look at that passage in Scripture, take a look, listen to our archives. And so that's why we're picking up this 
story at verse 25. And even starting at verse 25, we won't look at every single verse because there are 50 verses even starting at verse 25. And we're going to go through this chapter um, and those previous two stories we've already covered before in Mark and Luke. So this is the longest chapter in the entire Old Testament. And uh, so we're, we're going to try to cover all of this information. And it's not that I have anything against going more detailed in a scripture passage. As many of you know, that's typically how we do things. I uh, just thought that we would approach this a little bit differently uh, because there's a benefit in kind of taking this 30,000 foot view uh, versus like looking at, at a word study through a microscope. And so hopefully we're, we're going to be able to see by this wider lens what the Gospel of John has for us rather than looking in really great detail like we did in Luke and in Mark in those previous two stories. Now, if any of you want to go more in depth in these scriptures, I encourage you to ask that of your home group leaders, or if you want to start a home group and go deeper into these things, then that is fantastic. Completely encourage you to do that. Wonderful that you would do that. We read through verse 34. Let me pick up on verse 35. I'm not going to read everything, uh, but I'm just going to take out some passages from this entire section here just so that we can have that in the back of our brain as we approach uh, what we're going to be looking at this morning. Picking up from verse 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. Skip down to verse 60. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? Skip down to verse 66. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. People have a, a wide range of responses to Jesus, and they vary a lot. And it's kind of funny if you just kind of pause and take a li listen to things, how people can say, Jesus, so easily when they're angry or frustrated or embarrassed and they use the name of Jesus as a cuss word pretty easily. But then if you pause and you do it in a more thoughtful, meaningful way and you want to talk about Jesus, it's not as easy to just say, Jesus, out of frustration or whatever people are using it for. Because believing in this name takes some thoughtful response. And so often, there's this other side of it where people just use it flippantly and thoughtlessly and reactive, reflexive. But you sit down with someone to think through Jesus in a meaningful and thoughtful way, and things are different. Share with someone this passage, Philippians chapter 2, 
verses 9 through 11. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You're probably going to get some people who are not receptive to that message, who do not like hearing this, and you'll probably get some that are going to be pretty negative to this message that some will even walk away or even treat this with some hostility. And some will even not be able to even contain their anger or their volatility towards this message of Christ, just like the religious leaders in Jesus' day. That we find these same reactions to Jesus in Jesus' day as we do today. And so there's nothing all that surprising for us who experience this kind of hostility, right? And so you take a look at verses 14 and 15 of John chapter 6, and it reads this. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Perceiving then that they were to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. And so on this particular day, Jesus is called the prophet, and they wanted to make him king, And then there's the next day. The very next day, the very next day that they call him the prophet, that they want to crown him king, the very next day this happens, verses 41, 52, 61, and 66. Let me read this. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. Verse 52. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Verse 61, but Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? And verse 66, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. And this is one day later. From being a complete hero to where they want to crown him, they say that he is the prophet to Man, who is this guy? I'm not going to follow him anymore. Forget this. And so we shouldn't be all that surprised with the reactions that we get from Jesus today. Negative reactions to Jesus are just nothing new for Christians. And some negative reactions back then are the same negative reactions today. And the reason is why? Why is this? Why is there such a negative reaction to Jesus? And so John chapter 6 gives us some insight as to why this is. And perhaps this is why John is so long, that it's the longest chapter in the New Testament because it's telling us this why. Now when we look at John, just how it's broken out, it's broken up into two main parts. And both parts have this reference to bread. The first part is verses 1 through 15, and it's about this bread that Jesus multiplied to feed the 5,000. The second part is from verse 16 on, 16 to 71, and that is the meaning of bread, and that Jesus is the bread of life. And so that first part, Jesus has this really large crowd following him. It says 5,000 men, so it's actually more like 10 to 20,000 people, women and children. And so it's this very large crowd that is following him, and this first part, 1 through 15, is about feeding them. And this bread is multiplied. Jesus multiplies this for these hungry people. The second part, verses 16 through 71, is something different, but it's still in regards to bread. Now that big crowd that's following Jesus, this is most likely the Golan Heights. 
right? It's the Golan Heights, and there's the Sea of Galilee. And the reason why we're doing this is because when we've done these pilgrimage groups up there, we've been testing out where can Jesus possibly say this stuff that over 5,000 people can hear his message. And we found this one part where you go up on the hill on the Golan Heights and you're closer to the shore and, and you kind of talk and we're about 500 meters apart and we're just talking. I can hear you. It's like this built-in surround sound stereo amphitheater thing that's happening. And so like, oh yeah, God can do this. This works. This, this natural kind of stereo sound works. Well, these people are, are hungry. There's no Costco or anything, food court for them to get fed. And, and so there's nowhere for them to get food. And they didn't bring food with them. And so all they find is this kid with five loaves and two fish. And so how are they going to feed this 10 to 20,000 people crowd? How are they going to do this with such little food? Now, when reading John's account of this, it's not the miracle that is the main part of the story. John points out things that are more than just a miracle. He points out that people ate their fill and that there were leftovers. In fact, 12 baskets full of leftovers, verse 13. And so this is a miraculous sign of generosity, of abundance, and the power of Jesus. And it's akin to the miracle of the miraculous generosity of making water into wine at that wedding in Cana in John chapter 2. Jesus, what he's doing through these miracles, like making water into wine and this multiplication of loaves and fish, is he's replaying Old Testament history. He's replaying Old Testament stories. And John is recording this in his language. It's like when God had provided the children of Israel from heaven manna as Stephanie just read about Moses and manna and that provision. What happened after they received manna? And here is where there is some parallelism between John and what happened with Moses and manna. They grumbled. They grumbled. Manna's coming out of their ears, right? They're, they started making all these different man, manna dishes, like manakati and things like that. And so... Same thing happening here in John 6. Twelve baskets full after everyone had ate. And it's a miraculous miracle. And what do they do right after? I read those four verses. Grumble. Dispute. Walk away. And so it's reminiscent of how God delivered the people of God out of bondage in Egypt. God provided for the people Israel. And all 12 tribes of the Old Testament are given an abundance, a generosity of manna, and then they grumble. They complain. Here, Jesus, the bread of life, provided a deliverance from the bondage of sin for the people. He provides an abundance of actual physical bread for them to eat in the feeding of the 5,000. And then what do they do? They grumble. Now, the thing to focus on is not on the miracle itself or what the miracle even did, but it is to focus on who did the miracle. That's the most important part. It's to recognize who Jesus is. 
Now, when Moses did that incredible miracle, he was merely an instrument that God used to deliver this manna. It wasn't about that miracle or what the miracle even did. It was who provided the manna. He pointed to God. It wasn't about Moses. It was about God who provided the manna. It's God who gave the bread in the wilderness. So, who is it that gave the bread in the feeding of the 5,000? They don't have enough food to feed everyone, and who is it that abundantly feeds everyone? It's Jesus. Jesus, who unlike Moses, speaks of himself as what? I am. I am. When did you last hear this, I am? You look back to Moses, and when Moses says, like, God, who do I say sent me? And what does he say? Take a look back at Exodus chapter 3, starting in verse 13. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent you. God is I am. And I am is completely sufficient. I am is savior. I am is provider. And Jesus goes into this series of I am. I am the bread of life. He's God. He's telling them who he is. Who else would dare say I am at whatever. And here Jesus is saying I am. I am who I am. And in verse 14, they think that Jesus is the prophet. And so they're thinking, back to the Old Testament, that prophecy where, where Moses was told God would send a prophet, right? Deuteronomy 18, verse 15, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is him you shall listen. And then after they say that's the prophet, they want to make him king. And so, yes, Jesus is the prophet, the prophet that God sent, and yes, Jesus is the king. So why doesn't Jesus just accept these titles? Yes, I am the prophet, and yes, I am the king. Because he really is those things. Why doesn't he just take that? Because they're forgetting a very, very key title that it belongs to Jesus. They don't recognize that Jesus is also the priest. He is prophet, king, and priest. And they don't recognize the priestly part. They are recognizing the prophet part. They're recognizing the king part. But they don't recognize the priest part. And without being the priest, there isn't a complete picture of Jesus being prophet and king because that priest part has to be there. Jesus is the bread of life. That without knowing that sacrifice... There is no everlasting life for anyone. And the prophet, as one who speaks God's word, the king, as one who exercises God's authority, which Jesus did in that miracle of feeding of the 5,000, but without the recognition of being the priest, there is no way to fully comprehend the true identity of Jesus as a ransom for many. That was his priestly duty. That's what he did as the priest. And this is what the priest came to do. Mark chapter 10, verse 45. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. 
And the people are missing this very critical piece about Jesus being the priest. Jesus said this to the people in verse 26. Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Jesus did this incredible miracle. And what they saw was 12 baskets full of leftover food. Just mounds and heaps of bread. And they didn't see the signs as to who it all pointed to. And who did it? Jesus. Jesus himself. He did it. Jesus alone is the bread of life who satisfies their need for their souls. And why did Jesus teach with miracles? Why did Jesus teach in parables? Now, some people think that Jesus taught in parables so that it's a story that's easy to remember or that it's in story form so that people can understand it better and that parable is clear in their mind. But that's not what the Bible says. Why did Jesus teach in parables? Take a look at Mark chapter 4, starting in verse 10. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables, and he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see, but not perceive, and may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. So Jesus taught in parables so that those who hear won't understand, and those who see won't perceive, that they just won't get it without him. That only those whose eyes are opened by God will be able to see the parables and that they'll see that they aren't just good stories that are easy to remember. That there's a much deeper meaning to it. That parables are messages about who Jesus is. And it's the same for miracles. It's not the miracle itself. It's not what the miracle does. It's about who did the miracle. And it discloses the identity of the miracle worker and that they are fully sufficient in themselves in doing that miracle. Take a look at communion. We take communion here every week with one another. What does communion mean? We have this bread We have this fruit of the vine that we participate in and take every week. We have the what. This is what this is. What does it symbolize? Or more accurately, who does this symbolize? The Lord Jesus. It symbolizes the body and the blood of Christ. It's not what this is, it is who this is. And sometimes we can miss this. That we, we look at this sacrament as a what. And we miss the sign, we miss the who. And Jesus invites us to embrace him, to accept him. Just like he did with the people in Galilee who chased him across the Sea of Galilee to Capernaum because they just got fed and they're just like, man, that guy is awesome. Like, Let's go see what else he does and we don't have to be hungry. He'll feed us again and maybe he's going to multiply lamb and pitas this time. I don't know, like whatever, let's go. And they thought about what they were going to get in return and, and what they're going to see and it was all about what? 
What are we going to see? What are we going to get in return? And they didn't think about who. Who's doing that? Who's providing that for you? And they just missed Jesus. They looked for what he did rather than who he is. And we fall victim to the same thing all the time. Chasing after what Jesus can do for us. Rather than seeing who Jesus is. And so people do this all the time. And they ask questions like this. Or they come up with statements like this to try to refute and rebut Christians. And they say, well, if God was real, he wouldn't do that. Or if God is real, he would do this. Again, they're looking at what God does and not who God is. Because if you really knew who God really is, you would not dare ask that. There's no way you would ask that if you really knew who God is because you would be like Philippians chapter 2 verses 10 and 11 so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's what you would do if you knew who God really is. You would not dare ask, what do you do? Jesus multiplied the bread, and it's a miracle pointing to him being the bread of life. I am the bread of life. And the miracle was pointing them to the one who multiplied the bread, not that the bread was multiplied. So it's the next day. This massive crowd follows Jesus to Capernaum, where Jesus taught. In verse 49, he taught this. Now before this, There was a warning in verses 26 and 27. Let's look at 26. Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. These people are very interested in Jesus. But it's not for the right reasons. They're not interested in Jesus because they saw signs that point to Jesus as to who he is. They're interested in Jesus for what he can do for them. He can feed them. He can provide for them. And it's so much like people today. What can Jesus do for me? What can he provide for me? He's going to find me a spouse. He's going to give me a family. He's going to give me a good job. He's going to give me a house. He's going to give me whatever. And you're just looking at all these material things as to what Jesus can do for you, what he can provide for you. Now look at verse 27. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set this seal, his seal. And so Jesus is reminding them of Isaiah 55 verse 2. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligent to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. And Jesus is teaching about this repeatedly. You look back to John chapter 2. It's the wine ran out at this wedding. And what does he do? Provide generously and abundantly. And you look at the life of Nicodemus, who was just looking at life as we're perishing, as flesh and blood. And you look at the inadequacy of worship that took place in Samaria and Jerusalem. And we were at chapter 5. And we looked at that paralytic at the pool of Bethesda, who could never get to the water for healing. And it's just people wanting the what, the what, the what, the what. And then in chapter 6, where people are seeking this bread that can never satisfy it. Again, all of these what's 
since chapter 2 until this point. And they're all pointing to insufficiency, inadequacy, that none of the what's provide you with anything. And then we get to chapter 6, and it's like, who? Now we look at who? That it is Jesus who gave the wine. It is Jesus who gave life. Jesus who gave worship. Jesus who gave wholeness to that guy in Bethesda. Feeding that is fully sufficient and adequate. That they don't have to thirst anymore like that woman in the well in Samaria. And that Jesus completely satisfies when all those what's do not. And the people ask Jesus a very good question. Essentially... Where do we get this ever-satisfying bread, Jesus? This bread that never goes bad. This bread that never goes stale. This bread that never dries out. Where do we get this? Verse 34, they said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus answered this, verse 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. It's not about some bread you're going to get. It's about Jesus. What do people need to do with this bread? You need to take it, and you need to eat it, and then it does something. You can't just look at it. You have to do something with it. You have to take it, and then it becomes useful. But these people were just like Nicodemus. They were just like the Samaritan woman at the well. They're just like the paralyzed man at the pool of Bethesda. And that initially, they just can't see it. They can't see. And so this woman asks for water. Nicodemus asks, how can someone be born again? The guy complains, no one brings me to the water at the pool. I can't be healed. And so in John chapter 4, verse 15, the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. And Nicodemus says, How can a man be born again? And then this paralyzed man, John chapter 5, verse 6, Jesus asked him, Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm going, another steps down before me. He wanted to be healed. And all they can see are these what's. And now these people in Capernaum, they want this bread. Sir, give us this bread, this what, always but they don't see who. None of these people see who. They all see solutions, resolutions, remedies. They're all thinking of these what problems and they don't look at who. And the only way to receive this everlasting water where you don't ever thirst again, to receive this everlasting healing where you won't beg again, and to receive this everlasting bread where you won't hunger again is through belief is by faith in Jesus. It is in who, not what, by who, but whom, right? It, it, only Jesus will satisfy. Only Jesus is fully sufficient, fully adequate to provide what is everlasting. Now skip down to verse 64. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And this is the issue. It's belief. It's faith. There are some of you who don't believe. 
Just like Jesus said, there are some of you who do not believe. And there may be some of you trying to believe, and you just can't. What can you do about that? I look to Mark chapter 9, verse 24, and I think you have to humble yourself and cry out like this man did. And he says, I believe, help my unbelief. You cry out to God in humility to have your eyes opened in belief. And the little belief that you have, just pray for that unbelief that you have as well, that you look to Jesus and you trust him, that you look to Jesus for wholeness, to have bread that lasts forever requires belief. There's a problem. You can't see when you're blind. And you can't walk when you're paralyzed. So there are things that you just simply can't do on your own and you are going to have to rely, lean on God. Where you just humbly cry out to God in your insufficiency, in your inadequacy, in your powerlessness. That you can't do it. Now this is a very hard thing for people to do. Take a look at verse 60. When many of his disciples heard it, they said... This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? Very difficult to hear and carry through to belief. So difficult. Many have heard but not believed. And this is the most critical point of following Jesus or not following Jesus. It's not hearing a gospel message. That is not the most critical point. The most critical point is believing what you heard. That's the most critical point. There is nothing we can do to earn salvation. There's nothing you and I can do to earn it. We don't deserve it. There's nothing we can do. It's just a generous, gracious, abundant gift from God. And belief, trusting in God, it is so simple, but it's so hard. It's, this, it's a, such a simple message, but it's so challenging to do. And once you do believe, then you can drink, then you can eat, and be completely satisfied. Most of the world does not believe. Most of the world has gone astray from Jesus Christ. And here is the most important question for us to answer, and it's in verse 67. Jesus turns to the 12 that remained with him because a bunch of people that followed him to Capernaum from the Sea of Galilee have left. They're like, there's nothing to see. He's not feeding us again. He's not doing a what again. Forget it. And they're not looking at who. And so he turns to his 12 and he asks this, do you want to go away as well? How about you? I have so many friends that we've been walking with the Lord for so many years and they have walked away. Some of them I can't even believe it. Like in high school, um, I had these friends that they woke something up in me by inviting me to like their church for youth group because my church didn't have one. And they invited me to like church retreats and all these kind of stuff. And that's kind of where like all this stuff got built up in me. 
And they've all walked away. They had this huge support system and all these awesome things that, that kind of awakened me and then they're the ones that walked away. And the same thing in ministry, pastors who have walked away. And this is how Peter answered, verse 68. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You notice his awesome reply? Because it's not about what. He recognized who. Who are we going to go to? You have the words of eternal life. He recognized who, not what. And this is so true for us because once you know who Jesus is, what's your alternative? Who else are you going to turn to to satisfy that everlasting hunger, that everlasting thirst? Where are you going to look for lasting, everlasting sufficiency or satisfaction? And it, it is exclusively looking to Jesus Christ. And these questions start going through our heads in terms of like, what do we see in Jesus? And these are important questions because is he really the bread of life to whom we can live by? Or is he someone we can live without? A lot of the goal setting things, right? People are always saying like, oh, set your goals and hit your goals and things like that. And I've been reading other books where they're saying like, you know what the other side of things is? More, more powerful than setting goals is the negative part of it. That's even more important. So you're saying like, I want to get healthy, and so I need to work out, and I need to eat better, and I'll, how many, has that worked for anybody? Like, I'm going to get healthier, that's why. But if you are going to say to yourself something like this, and your doctor says something like this to you, you're going to die in ten and a half years if you don't change. I think it's a little different. Then you're like, okay. I got to make a change. And so I think it's not just so much looking at Jesus and like, oh, this positive stuff and what Jesus does for us. And it's also what happens without Jesus. To look at it from that perspective as well, without Christ. Now, if you have some other alternative that you find where you can have this everlasting satisfaction and, and adequacy and sufficiency, I encourage you to full-on sprint to that. Go for it. Drop this and go to that. Because with Jesus, although it's free, it will cost you everything. Your entire life. So if you can find an alternative for the same thing that costs you less, you guys all know what a sale is. Go for it. Do that. But is there another person? Is there another place that you can go to to find this everlasting bread of life? Not according to the Bible. Verse 68, Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. 
and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. There is no other place to go. He's the only one to trust. So are you for Jesus or are you against Jesus? Because Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 12, verse 30, as well as in Luke chapter 11, verse 23. Whoever is not with me is against me. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, your words are harsh. There isn't much grayness to them in terms of this. Whoever is not with me is against me. And that Peter confesses that you are the Holy One of God. You say that you are the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through you. And God, these harsh truths are truths, and they are gracious in that they are telling us how it is. And we come across so much hostility when sharing these truths. And I ask God that you would give us a boldness to share them, even though there is a resistance to them, a rejection of these things. And that you would soften the hearts of the communities we're a part of to share this news. And as we share this teaching in our Sunday series in John, and as we invite people uh, into our Alpha group or home groups or our, our Wednesday services, or we have these different types of outreaches like our Christmas coffee house or whatever it may be, may you soften people so that they can hear that, that those scales are removed from their eyes because the blind can't see and the paralyzed can't walk without your power and authority to free them from their bondage. Thank you for your word. I ask God that as we study it on our own and we pray that you speak to us powerfully through it in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to take communion together, and so if you need those elements, please hold up your hand. One of our elders, Mike, he's going to be in the left front pew. He would be honored to pray with you. He'd love to pray with you if you are wanting or needing prayer. Let's take this symbol of the broken body of Christ. And as we prepare our minds as to who and not so much what this is. Broken for us, for forgiveness, relationship with God. In Jesus' name, let's take this together. The fruit of the vine symbolizing the blood of Christ shed for us, cleansing us of our sins. In Jesus' name. Lord Jesus, thank you for what you did. You are not only the prophet, as people recognize. You are not only the king, as people wanted to crown you king. You are also the priest. And as you provided this sacrifice for us, Lord, we remember this. We ask God for your empowerment and equipping to do your will. In Jesus' name, amen.